Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 6. This is Lesson 6. We're going to continue exactly where we left off in uh, page 22. We're in chapter 20. And um, we just finished reading the account of uh, Jesus uh, being compelled to answer um, the high priest, even though he knew that his answer would get him in trouble. And we read the incident uh, that followed where they spit in Jesus' face and hit him with their fists, which is just ridiculous. You don't do that in a courtroom. And this clearly shows us that since Jesus was willing to be put under oath, then not all oaths are bad. In fact, some oaths are actually necessary, such as those used in courtrooms, where people giving testimony have to be compelled to tell the truth or face serious consequences. In addition, even God himself at times I'm in page 23, confirmed his promises with an oath. First, with the Apostle Peter saying in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 30, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. That's the reason why they always asked, Are you the son of David? To Jesus, anyway. Um, added to this, we also have Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 13 and 14 saying, for, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you richly, and I will multiply your descendants into countless millions. In other words, there is a time when oaths are good. And, you know, it's more to let us know that. We need not fear that, you know, if it is something that is life-threatening or, 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 you know, you're making a great sacrifice and somebody says, I swear to you, this will happen. You know, it just helps us to understand, okay, as much as I'm sacrificing, I know something awesome is going to come out of this, even though I'm not there necessarily to see it. Are you all with me? Amen? Okay. Um, Whenever God puts himself under oath, it is totally for our benefit. For those times we needlessly doubt him, okay? And why Hebrews 6.18 has to assure us that it is impossible for God to lie. That's one of the reasons it says that. It's not more of a case of, well, you know, can, I thought God can do anything. It's not that sort of a thing. It's saying, listen, if God said he was going to do something, he will do it. Understand that if he says something, he will not lie. Amen? Amen. Um, The reason is that fallen man is prone to lying, and therefore has a hard time believing in a God that never lies. And why Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 has to reassure us of the fact that God is not a man, that he should lie. So once again, all this goes to show us that not all oaths are bad. With John MacArthur saying that Christ only forbids the flippant, profane, or careless use of oaths in everyday speech, often used to deceive. Amen. And as to how this was done, Leon Morris explains, this is kind of interesting, that people would sometimes swear by heaven or earth or a similar oath that later claim that they were not bound by it because God was not mentioned. See how they started to play around with this? Okay. (laughs) However, Jesus refutes this way of thinking and explains why, beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 34. We're getting to your verse, by the way. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, he says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So even though, I'm over the page, even though people thought that they could swear by heaven and not involve, not involve God, Jesus is quick to point out that heaven is in fact linked to God, because it is God's throne. That's from Isaiah 66 and verse 1. And to swear by it and break your oath would actually dishonor God. And as for swearing by the earth, Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, He says, nor by earth, for it is His footstool. Again, Jesus points out the flaw in their thinking by reminding them that the earth is actually God's footstool. That's again from Isaiah 66 and verse 1, which, from which Psalm 99.5 says that we are to worship Him. Therefore, if you did swear by the earth, once again, the oath is binding and must be honored. The same goes for oaths sworn by Jerusalem. Yeah, they did that one too. Okay, <laughs> Jesus going on to say, in the latter half, I told you this is very Jewish. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. All right. In the latter half of Matthew 5.35, he says, Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Of course, that's talking about God. Okay. It's capital K. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus actually goes on to talk about this matter of swearing oaths on external objects further on in this same gospel. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. And we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, where he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Can you believe how ridiculous this is? Okay? He says, Fools and blind, he says, For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Verse 18, And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. And again he says, fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore he who swears by the altar, swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Alright, verse 22, And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits uh, on it. So, here again, Jesus makes it extremely clear, that by their hair-splitting differences, the Jews could not escape between this form of oath, or vow, and that. If they swear to do something, then they should simply do it. Because in God's eyes, any form of deception is sin. Amen? So that's what this is all about. Now, returning to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 36, <clears throat> we find that Jesus switches from oaths that refer to God in various ways to a single oath and centers on and refers to the person of the swearer by saying, Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, to explain <laughs> what Jesus primarily meant here, Leon Morris says that the swearing now moves from the greatness of God to the littleness of people. With Jesus pointing to the fact that no one is able to change the color of even his hair, a very small part of the human body, and therefore such an impotent being is not one to whom to swear oaths. So he's just saying, listen, this is ridiculous. He's saying, you can't change anything about you, so why swear on anything? You know, um, and so again, it, it, people find different ways of trying to swear oaths. And again, we're coming back to the thing of, it, it, must be, it must have been ridiculous in the time of Jesus, that he was just looking at it and saying, can you all just stop doing this? 
You know, whether it's by heaven, whether it's by yourself, whether it's on your dog, whatever, just stop it. <laughs> you know? Okay? Uh, which is why he's getting to the verse that was mentioned. Alright? And we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, but there were certain occasions when a desperate, untrustworthy individual, renowned for breaking their word, would have to resort to swearing by their head, which meant that they were willing to give their head and therefore give up their life if what they said were not true. And so Jesus is going to say now in Matthew 5.37 that all this can be avoided by simply telling the truth at all times. Or as he so eloquently puts it, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now this is not saying that you can't say anything other than yes and no when you're chatting to people. Because people have done that as well. Uh, you know, I, you know how some, it's amazing how people take verses and they just do crazy things with them. And I know this individual just stopped having conversations with people because it was just yes and no. Yeah, you know I'm trying to say. You know, I'm trying. Okay, all right. Don't do stuff like that. This isn't talking about that. You know, you can chat about the weather and you can chat about this and that, everything else. This is talking about okay when it comes down to make you know to serious things in life. People need to know that they can trust you. If you say yes, it's yes. It's not yes except. Are you all here? Okay, and if you say no, it's no. You know, like, like I saw the end. No means no. You know what I'm trying to say? It's just like, if it's a no, it's a no. There's no dancing around the issue. That's it. Okay. Even the Apostle James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, picked up on this. And believed that it was so important that he repeated it almost word for word in his epistle in James chapter 5 and verse 12. And said that, but above all, my brethren, notice he says above all. Okay. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Amen. Okay, the Spirit-filled Bible says that oath-taking is an implicit confession that we do not always tell the truth. And why William MacDonald in his commentary says that Jesus forbids any shading of the truth nor deception. So the thing is that, saying that if you have to take an oath, if you have to swear by something, it immediately tells people that if you're not swearing by something, then you're not telling the truth. Isn't that what you would conclude? I would. If the person, I, I, you know, I've had people like that in my life, that they would swear about everything. And then you start thinking, now did they swear about that one or not? Because, <laughs> you, you know, if they didn't, they're lying, okay? <laughs> so, alright. In fact, Leon Morris writes, the conclusion of the matter is that it is never necessary for Christ's people to swear an oath before they utter the truth. Their word should always be so reliable that nothing more than a statement is needed from them. I want to say amen to that. Amen. Okay, Robert H. Mounts simply says, to be under God's rule then is to be absolutely trustworthy and transparently honest. To depart from this is to fall under the influence of the evil one. Or as Jesus put it, whoever is, uh, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Okay, wow, got through that really quickly. Are you all good with that? Okay, alright. The law regarding retaliation. Let's move on to that. Following the subject of swearing oaths, or keeping your word, Jesus now turns his attention to the subject of retaliation. Says in Matthew chapter 5, I will slow down in things where I feel like we need to slow down in. Okay, alright. Says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, He says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Again, Jesus quotes the Old Testament, and in this case, Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, he says, But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Very, very specific, isn't it? Alright, this was a part of the old Jewish civil law that was put into place so that justice would be served without prejudice. Uh, now, everybody looks at that and thinks that's, that's really terrible, but let's look at what it was actually doing, okay? Alright, as Leon Morris puts it, even-handed justice without respect for persons is what was intended by these, okay? In fact, in his commentary, Leon Morris goes to explain that no matter how great the offender, whether he or she was a king or noble, here it is, okay? He could not escape just punishment. And no matter how small, whether peasant or slave, no more could be exacted on him than his offense merited, all right? In other words, if a, fl- if a slave wronged a noble should be not, not two. The noble couldn't expect any more than what was taken from him. Are you getting this? And if a slave had suffered wrong by a high official, that high official couldn't use their influence to escape justice. Alright, so in other words, it, it, was, it was equity, okay? If you did something wrong, then regardless of whether you were rich or poor, okay, influential or didn't have any influence whatsoever, you would be treated fairly. Are you all with me? Okay. I could go on, but I'm hoping you're getting all of this. So, it, it was equal justice for all, and pr- was primarily designed to stop people from being excessive in their demand for justice and recompense. You know, one of those, you kill one of mine, and I'll come and kill 20 of yours. Okay? <laughs> okay? One of those things. John McCarthy, in his commentary, bears this out when he writes, The law did establish this standard as a principle for limiting retribution to that which was just. It aimed to ensure that the punishment fit the crime. It never sanctioned personal retaliation. Now, this is where people sort of went wrong with it, all right? When they would sort of say, well, see, it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, so I can, you know, they did it to me, so I can go and do it to them. This wasn't meant to be for personal, okay, vengeance or whatever. It was meant to be that this is how the law would work. That means that this law was never meant for personal vengeance because Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 29 is absolutely clear when it says, Do not say, I will do to others as they have done to me. I will pay them back for what they have done. So this is all about I. Okay, and he's saying when it comes to personal things, you don't do stuff like that. Amen? Additionally, in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, God himself says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is, you know, this is what Jesus pulled out when, when the, the lawyer was trying to trick him and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And so he does, he says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, and so on. And then he says, and jumps to this verse. And says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on this, hang all the law and the prophets. So he said, you want to keep something, keep them, and you take care of all the rest. Amen. However, contrary to all this, the Pharisees, who were master manipulators of the law, actually used it to justify personal retribution and revenge. And so did the exact opposite of what it was intended for. And why Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5.39, But I tell you, alright, as opposed to what you've been previously taught, you are not to resist an evil person. Alright. The phrase not to resist an evil person, the literal text says, do not oppose or stand against the evildoer with measures that arise from an unloving, unforgiving, unrelenting, vindictive disposition. 
So a lot of words there. <laughs> okay, all right. So in other words, you know, he's saying, listen, we are not to hold grudges. Okay, remember when he was talking about love? It keeps no score. You know, it keeps no account. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen. And the reason is this, family. Let me just share a little bit here. The reason all of this is put here is to let us know, especially in the New Testament, because Jesus started teaching us something. He said when, when He dies, things will change on the inside of us. We were going to become new creations. They weren't new creations back then. And so that's why Jesus is now saying, listen, even for what you've heard, I'm going to tell you something different, because I need you to now f- protect your heart. Because out of it flow the issues of life. Out of it flows faith. Out of it, you move your mountains. Amen? Or through it, you move your mountains. And if you allow things to get in there, to, to damage what's in there, you know, you really need to be careful that the faith that you have in there isn't being eroded away by things that are coming at you. And you allow them in. They can't get to you until, unless you allow them in. Have you noticed? That's the reason why sometimes you need to use your words and say, I will not permit this to affect me. I, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had to do that sometimes. When something has happened and my emotions begin to rise and I say, no. I just say no to them. People say, well, are, are you bearing things? No, I'm just saying no to them. <laughs> okay? Before they have, a, you know, have the opportunity, listen, to rise up, become something and then be buried, I stop him from rising. I stop, stop it from anything actually being there. Do you all getting this? Anyway, okay. Hope you get that. In other words, Jesus is condemning the spirit of lovelessness, hatred, yearning for revenge, and instructing His disciples to offer no resistance to an evil person, but to put their needs before our own. Now, we need to be really careful about this, because you know, He is not telling us to be used and abused by people. Okay? So we, we really need to watch this. Remember again, all, in all things be led by the Spirit, in your responses, in what you do, and so on and so forth. Okay, That's why it's not just the Word, but the Spirit as well. And a lot of times, family, if we are led by the Spirit, we won't get into situations where we have to deal with this stuff. Because the Lord knows what's going on out there. You know? And he, he will do everything He can to look after you, to protect you. Also reason why we pray. Okay? If there is something waiting for us out there, change it before you get there. Amen. Amen. Just saying. Alright. So, John MacArthur says that like verse 38, this deals only with matters of personal retaliation, not criminal offenses or acts of military aggression. Jesus applies this principle of non-retaliation to affronts against one's dignity. Lawsuits to gain one's personal assets infringements on one's liberty, these are all the verses we're looking at, and violations of property rights. He is calling for a full surrender of all personal rights. Amen? Now again, we need to understand that this is a God that said that He will meet all of our need, that He will look after us, He will be our shield, and so on and so forth. So He's not just telling us to go out there and just kind of, you know, just be taken advantage of and just, you know, just be everybody's doormat. Amen. Okay. Understand something. When it said love never fails, it's saying, listen, if God is in your life, then He will look after you. He will protect you. Amen. Amen. All right. That's what allows you to be this way. You know, if you didn't have that, let me just say one more thing. If you didn't know that you were going to be looked after, then you would protect yourself. A self-preservation would kick in. 
But you need to understand that God will look after you. And because He is, he is God, because He will look after you, then you can be, or you can afford to be generous. Amen? In your responses and so on and so forth. All this is best brought out in, uh, in what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Verses 19 through uh, 19 and 20, taken from Leviticus 19.18, where he says, Beloved, do not... Actually, it goes to verse 21. Why did I say 20? Anyway, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, which is the same thing as, uh, as saying, do not stand against the evildoer, but rather give place to or leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, listen, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Somebody takes advantage of you. What they sow, they will reap. Amen. Okay. God's not just going to allow people to take advantage of you. Whatever seeds they're sowing, that's going to come into their life. That's why he's saying don't get involved in their bad sowing. Because sometimes in our responses, we sow a bad seed. Are you all with me? So he's saying if they're sowing bad seeds, stay away from that. Amen. I could say more, but I hope, I hope you're getting this. I just want to really keep going. Verse 20, he says, Therefore, <clears throat> since God is looking after all the injustices done against you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. But only when done with a true loving attitude. And why uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? It's the attitude in which we do it, family. You know, if you do it with a, a, a resentful attitude, people are, people are going to realize that, see that, you're not going to pour any coals on their heads. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen? That's why, you know, you really have to get your heart right when you're doing stuff. Amen? Make sure that it is right before God. Now, when it, when it does come to cases of criminal offenses, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in Romans 13, verses 2 through 4, that those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God, and punishment will follow. For the authorities do not frighten people who are doing right, but they frighten those who do wrong. So do what they say, and you will get along well. <laughs> Amen? Alright. Verse 4. The authorities are sent by God to help you. Generally speaking, okay, in this country anyway. All right? But if you are doing something wrong, of course you should be afraid. For you will be punished. The authorities are established by God for that very purpose, to punish those who do wrong. So, what we're seeing here is that even when it comes to somebody on the outside doing something wrong to you, there are things in place to look after you that God has set up so that people can't keep taking advantage of you. Amen? Again, you know, all of this is saying, don't get involved in their sin. Let their sin be their sin. You conduct yourself in a righteous, in a good way. Amen? And don't plant any seeds that will bring some really bad harvest in your life. In other words, we are told that those who do you wrong will be punished by both God. Okay? Notice, again, Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the authorities. Right? <laughs> which was in Romans 13. Knowing all this should allow us to walk in love without feeling like we are constantly being taken advantage of. Amen. Especially since, okay, here it is. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Amen. And this works both ways. For those who do the right thing, God will supernaturally bless and prosper them in every possible way. And for those who do wrong, God will see to it that justice is served. 
So that works both ways. Amen. And you know, we, we have a song that uh, actually says all of that. <laughs> you reap what you sow. That's part of the supernatural logic behind love. The other is that sometimes people just need a second chance. Amen. Okay. All right. And because we know whose we are and the promises that we have uh, that have been put in, in place to protect us, we can afford, I've said here, to be generous. And why we must purpose in our hearts to do so. So that's the reason why you know, so much of the time I'm, I'm ministering to you about who you are. About you being God's child. Because you know, it's only as you begin to understand these things, can you be generous. Because if we think we're down here, that we are meant to fend for ourselves, then that's exactly what we'll do. There's no generosity when it comes to fending for yourself. Can I say that? Because it's every man for himself, so to speak, you know, and ladies too. <laughs> okay? And that's the world's way of thinking. What we need to understand is whatever we sow, we'll reap. And if we give up something that we are not going to do without it, God's going to bless us back with a multiplied return on whatever we gave. And while somebody thinks that we've taken advantage, that they've taken advantage of us, what we have done is sown a seed. See, they can't do the same thing. Do you understand that this only works when you come into God's kingdom? Do you understand that for them, if they do that, Satan will just steal it from them? So you really need to be careful. Even though these laws are universal, you need to understand that there is you know, this demonic spirit that is running around on this planet. And that is looking to take advantage. See, remember the saying that says, no good deed goes unpunished? That comes from the world. That comes from a world where if you are trying to just be good, in a world that Satan is running, so to speak, then that, that applies to you. But if you are in God's kingdom, okay, you do the right thing and the devil opposes you, you can stand up. Amen. And you can put him down and receive your reward. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Oh, almost out of time. Alright, let's keep going until we run out. Um, according to William Hendrickson, in his commentary says that we have no right to hate the person who tries to deprive us of our possession. Love then toward him should fill our hearts and reveal itself in our actions. Is this easy? No. This, prob- you know, this will take a lifetime to, to master, and even then you might not get there. Okay, But I'm just telling you, listen... This stuff, even though it's not easy, understand that God has something called grace. Amen. And when that grace comes upon you, you will do things that will surprise you. That later on, when you look back, you think, wow, didn't know I had it in me. Maybe not. Maybe God put it there. And know that the next time you don't need to have it in you, He'll, get, he'll look after you as well. Amen. As long as we have the heart to do the right thing, He'll take care of the rest. We just need to be willing. Amen. Okay. All right. That's the spirit behind everything Jesus says from this point on to the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 39, where he says again, But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also, in readiness to endure a further blow, is what is implied. This is repeated almost exactly in Luke's parallel account, In Luke chapter 6 and verse 29, where Jesus says, To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer uh, the other also. Leon Morris (coughs) points out that the cheek is the Greek word that, okay? Which is rather the jaw, 
Jesus is speaking of a punch to the side of the jaw rather than a light slap in the face. Did you all get that? Okay. It is this kind of beating that Jesus endured in John chapter 18, verses 22 and 23, where it says, And when he had said these things, one of the officers stood uh, who stood by, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? This, this, this was just ridiculous, the things that were going on. In verse 23, Jesus answered him, if I, have spoken evil, uh, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? So notice the situation surrounding this incident. Jesus was being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he still refused to retaliate, even though he did question their actions. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, We're going to leave it there, because when I go to the next thing, uh, there's just too many scriptures, and we're literally out of time. Um, Let's leave it there. Um, We will pick this up in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 when we look at being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Amen? Okay, all right. Let's pray, let's conclude for tonight. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, we just thank you tonight.